Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today our Tallahassee reporter Emily Mahoney joins me as we discuss the latest and greatest news on all of the amendments that are possibly headed to Florida voters. We're going to start with Amendment 8 and go from there. So Emily, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. So we are doing our amendment wrap-up Amendment 8 is the one that we've been paying the most attention to, so I guess we're going to start there, but it's dead. So uh, That's right. Yeah, a big, a big uh, ruling by the Supreme Court last week. It really surprised a lot of people. Nobody really knew which way the court was going to rule, and uh, this was probably, uh, arguably, the most controversial amendment on the ballot. There's just any time you talk about school choice and charter schools and school funding, uh, passions always are high, and um, you were actually listening to the Supreme Court arguments, um, that, if I'm not mistaken, Jeff. And why don't you talk about some of the things that the justices were saying before they issued the ruling? Well, they met in Palm Beach County, and luckily for us, they aired it on streaming on several different websites, so I was able to watch. And the thing that I noticed, they each had 20 minutes to present their sides, was the questions all really boiled down to that one section about whether the state would have the authority to control, operate, and supervise schools not established by a school board. That language is in the summary, and and nobody really could explain completely what that meant, because there right now is the assumption that most, if not all, of the public schools are established and created by school boards, by their very nature, the way that things are set up. And so it raised some interesting questions. I want to point out that um, it has been noted that things like the School for the Deaf and the Blind and some of the university lab schools were not created by school boards and they don't report to them. But by and large, even charter schools are established by school boards. They have to approve them. Otherwise, they don't get their contracts and they don't get their charters. So what wound up happening was the questions all circled around, what does that mean? And why doesn't it exactly say what you're trying to say. So on one hand, we had actually Justice Kennedy, the Chief Justice, he raised the question of, you know, why wouldn't people know what this means? So I'm going to play a little piece of that, a little back and forth with Ron Meyer, who is saying it's not clear at all. That it says currently school boards have a constitutional duty to operate, supervise, and uh, control and supervise all public schools. You've got this disclosure here that the school boards have, a, have this authority with respect to all public schools. And then that's followed by the statement uh, that this amendment is going to create something new and it will, uh, which will permit the state to operate, control, and supervise public schools not established by the school board. So it seems like to me a voter reading that is going to understand, a voter would have to understand this is going to take away something from the school boards, which is what it would accomplish. Isn't that correct? Well, here's the problem with that, that rationale. 
That's not what the amendment language does. On the other side, we had three justices who were very clear that they did not think that this, this amendment said what it meant. They felt like they were hiding the ball on charter schools. And I know that we've discussed that quite a bit, Emily. Uh, the, the issue of charter schools and whether the state was trying to do an end run on school districts by allowing charter schools to have an easier path towards being approved and then gaining access to the money. Justice LaBarga, at the very end of the hearing, raised the point very clearly and basically sealed the fate of the amendment. Everybody was watching him as a swing judge, swing vote, and um, here's what he had to say. If, if the task here, if the objective here is to inform the voters as to what is going to happen, why are all the words missing? Just come out and say it. The legislature will be permitted to establish schools in the state of Florida. Pass a statute. From now on, there will be charter schools. Period. Uh, That's what it says. Your Honor, uh, That's so what you mean. After he spoke, pretty much everybody felt like the, the, the die was cast and that they were just waiting for the ruling to come out. And then... You and I both did one thing. Refresh, 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 right? <laughs> That's right. All day Thursday and most of the day Friday. And then I, I remember I was talking to you on the phone and all of a sudden I like was speechless as this thing just popped up on my screen and I couldn't even begin to tell you. It's here. It's here. And and the justices issued their order without the explanatory ruling. We're kind of going back in time and looking at, you know, what did they say during that hearing? That's why we're playing those clips from the from the audio. But it was interesting to to hear that basically it all came down to this idea, not of bundling, which was a big issue at one point, not of anything else. But why was it that when you talk about school board term limits, one piece of the amendment, it was very clear and concise. When you talked about civics education and wanting to ensure that it remains part of students' education. It was very clear and concise. But when it came to the part about supervision, authorization, and establishment of public schools not created by school boards, it was like, what are you talking about? And mm -hmm. that's where it really came down. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And it, that is one of the things that is interesting about the court striking down Amendment 8. Uh, I agree with you that it was it really all came down to wording in the the line of questioning that the justices had, like you said, and also in the previous ruling uh, by the Leon County Circuit Judge Cooper. Um, and so that wording question seems to be fairly um widespread throughout the challenges of the different amendments. But like you said, a lot of them is a lot of the challenges are based on bundling um, rather than specific phrasing. So it's going to be interesting to see where the courts draw lines in the sand for what constitutes too many amendments bundled or what's too confusing and what is clear to the voters. That's right, because that one other case that former Chief Justice Anstead brought challenging six of those CRC amendments went before Judge Givers in Leon County Court. She pulled out Amendment 8, which was part of it, along with Amendment 6 and Amendment 10, because they were part of other cases already before the Supreme Court. And she ruled that all of the ones that were remaining, 7, 9, and 11, should be removed from the ballot. That has since been sent to the Supreme Court on appeal, and we're waiting to hear what happens with that. But the question of bundling never really was the main issue on 8, and because it got pulled out of that 
case that was already standing on its own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the education world, there's another amendment that has had a lot of people talking. Can you remind us of what that one is, Jeff? It's Amendment 5, and that was one that was actually placed on the ballot by the legislature. The whole idea behind it is that in order for the legislature to adopt a, set, a tax increase or a fee increase, it would have to have a two-thirds majority. Now, that doesn't sound like something that necessarily a school board would be interested in on its face until you think about who actually funds a lot of what goes on in the legislature. I mean, who actually funds what goes on in the school districts? It's the legislature. And who sets the tax rates? It's the legislature. So you've seen a lot of organizations, including the League of Women Voters, which fought the Amendment 8 battle, along with school districts and school boards, attacking Amendment 5. The Hillsborough County School Board was one of those. It actually went and adopted a resolution that it passed a, a short while ago, basically opposing the Amendment 5, saying that they were worried that if the legislature can't get a supermajority to pass a tax increase, then as the money dwindles, critical services will dwindle and either the legislature will take money away from schools to pay for other things or it won't provide additional money that schools need when they're already crying poor. So, And then they, then we see Hillsborough, along with a lot of other districts, are turning around and asking local people to increase taxes on their own through referendums, which is not exactly the way that everybody wants it to go. It's like passing the buck down and, and school districts... And other education agencies, along with county governments and others, are are really pushing back against Amendment 5. Yeah, that is really interesting. And and like you said, it was put on the ballot by the state legislature. And I remember sitting in the gallery when, you know, that did pass through the legislature. And it was really, uh, you know, obviously it's super popular um, amendment because it made it all the way to the end. And uh, especially among Republicans who believe in small government and this was a very big political victory for them. But it's interesting to see that as this, um, like I said, it's a very, it was a very political discussion about the need to protect taxpayers and for, to limit government overreach and things like that. But now, um, that some time has passed since that happened and we're looking at, uh, what this could actually affect, uh, there are a lot of groups, like you, like you mentioned, local groups and county governments, uh, that are talking about what this could actually do in effect, and they're concerned about that. Yeah. So it is interesting. Yeah, they feel it. I mean, they're the ones who deal with it on a day to day basis. The legislature acts up in that bubble of Tallahassee, far removed from everybody else. They do things mostly to get reelected sometimes. You know, Oh, well, we agreed not to increase taxes. And not only that, we agreed to make sure that if we are going to increase taxes, we have a supermajority. Meanwhile, the school districts, the county governments, the city governments, they have things to pay for, whether it's, you know, keeping the lights on, fixing the air conditioning, whatever it is. And they and they have to deal with the, the outcome of what the legislature does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Amendment 5 is one that we're watching. And then there are a whole bunch of others that are out there, as we mentioned, that, that still are hovering. And I know they're not all necessarily education-related. Some of them are slightly. I know there's one relating to university fees. I don't remember which one that is. Maybe you can um, enlighten us <laughs> on that amendment and some of the others. 
Sure. So that is Amendment 7. Uh, I got a list in front of me, so I'm cheating. But <laughs> Amendment 7 uh, is w- another one of the bundled amendments. It was one of the ones, as you mentioned, that was struck down by Judge Evers up here in Tallahassee. Um, and it's on its way to the Supreme Court. I think I got an alert today that um, some preliminary filings have already been made. So that Supreme Court decision should hopefully be happening very soon. But Amendment 7 does a few things. First of all, it uh, provides college tuition to the survivors of fallen and first responders and military service members. It requires a supermajority vote of university trustees to raise college fees, and it adds the state consti- uh, I'm sorry, it adds the state college system into the Constitution, which currently is not mentioned at all in the Constitution, which uh, the college system feels is um, kind of a slight to them, and, and they need to secure their status along with universities and uh, K-12 schools um, by being in the Constitution as well. So that one is most closely related to education. Um, as you mentioned, 9 and 11 are were both also struck down by Judge Givers. Uh, Amendment 8, as you said, is officially dead. It cannot um, go anywhere else at this point. It's too late in the game. And um, I know on Amendment uh, 8, also, I, know, I noticed on Amendment 8 that the Secretary of State's office has officially removed it from its list of approved for the ballot amendments. I was looking there today just to see if it was even still just there. Now they have initiatives listed that made ballot position and it goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Wow. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. And it uh, because of the timing of the court's decision on that, I think we're hearing that uh, it won't even be printed on the ballot. So when people receive their ballot, either in the mail or at the polling places, Amendment 8 will not be listed because of the court's decision. So it's a pretty weighty decision. Um, and we also had upheld by the Supreme Court, so they will definitely be on the November ballot, Amendments 6, 10, and 13. Uh, 6 has also drawn a lot of uh, chatter. It's about victim crime victims' rights and expanding uh, those rights. It also has um, a few provisions about judge requirements increasing the mandatory retirement age for judges from 70 to 75, for example. Uh, Amendment 10 does a bunch of different things. Um, most notably, it uh, would require certain county-level offices, including sheriffs, to all be elected rather than appointed, which chiefly affects Miami-Dade County. Uh, they're one of the the biggest counties, I think possibly the only county that still has uh, an appointed sheriff. And Amendment 13 is pretty simple. It ends commercial dog racing um, by 2020, and that is also upheld by the Supreme Court. So voters will be able to definitely decide on all three of those in November. Okay, but we also have a couple of amendments that were put on the ballot by voters, right? That's right. Amendment 4 uh, has gotten a lot of attention in recent days. Um, there was a big TV uh, hit on Amendment 4, or I guess I should say a, a big boost for Amendment 4 by John Oliver on last week tonight. Uh, he talked about Florida's system for felons getting their voting rights back, uh, which is a very long and arduous process compared to most every other state in the country. Um, and Amendment 4 would make it so that once um, felons are released from prison, unless they were convicted of rape or murder, I believe, they would automatically get their voting rights back uh, versus the current system, which 
uh, requires them to wait, I believe it's five years before they apply to the state. Once that application is finally approved, uh, they have to travel to Tallahassee, petition the clemency board, uh, which is the cabinet, which includes the governor, and they must grant their voting rights back. So it's it's a very, very difficult process for most people to accomplish. And hasn't and it been done it very ends- few times since the governor, the current governor has taken office? I mean, there's like more than a million people who haven't had their rights restored. And was it in the hundreds mm-hmm. or the dozens that have actually been approved? Right. There's a huge backlog. There's a huge backlog because the, the clemency board doesn't meet very often and there are as you said more than a million people who uh would who fall into this category who have been convicted of felonies and don't have their voting rights back so it it is a huge uh number of people who aren't able to vote in the state and so amendment four uh received this kind of renewed attention by john oliver and it was funny the clemency board meeting this week uh which is usually just attended by a few members of the florida press corps was full of national media um following that show there was npr was there i believe huffington post was there and everybody wanted to see how this process worked uh, because of all the renewed attention on it. I remember covering that when I was a county government reporter nearly 20 years ago. This issue has had long legs as people have tried to get it towards the ballot. And I will be interested to see how it turns out because I wonder if most people even understand what it's about. Like most of these amendments, which kind of raises the question of what's going to happen to any of them with the 60% requirement for passage now, whether any of mm-hmm. them really has a chance. Have you heard any handicapping up there in Tallahassee at all? Well, it's it's just really hard to tell. I mean, uh, while you see candidates, I mean, I cover the governor's race most of the time. And when you see the campaign accounts of candidates, who are taking in, you know, tens of millions of dollars um, and spending millions of dollars on TV ads. And and it's just such a high-profile race. It's such an expensive race. The entire country is watching our governor's race. Meanwhile, there are so many amendments. Uh, there were 13 amendments when we started this process. And each one, need, as you said, needs 60% threshold to pass and to be added to the Constitution. So that requires you know, people to, to raise money and to spend money and to have a grassroots campaign and to educate people. And there's just not nearly as much money available for these kinds of things because people, uh, just aren't as interested, I think. So it's, it's, uh, it'll, I really don't know what's going to happen on these amendments. It's going to be really interesting to see what voters think and what voters make of them. Well, I know with the money, when I was watching Amendment 8, there was only a couple hundred thousand dollars being put into that campaign. And when you talk about millions, I don't know what a couple hundred thousand dollars, mostly from charter school industries and um, the term limits organization from the national term limits organization. So I just can't imagine that that's going to gather if most of them are like that much attention, especially when you have this huge governor's race and Senate race. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And it's a big state. You know, they always talk about how expensive it is to run in the state of Florida because it's so big. Buying TV ads is just so expensive. So that's not really an option um, for these amendments. So it, it's going to be interesting. Last time, uh, the CRC amendments really struggled to gain any ground with voters. So we'll see what happens this time around. I think that's a good place to end our our aftermath of the Amendment 8 podcast. We will just watch and wait and see. I I do want to note that 
at the end of the day, the people who supported Amendment 8 were very critical of the judges, critical of the League of Women Voters, critical of pretty much anybody who was listening and who opposed them. And they say that they will continue the battle on their issues going forward. So we're going to keep watching for that, too. Most definitely. I appreciate you taking the time again. Emily, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much. Yes, thank you. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you would like to participate in this conversation, please join us on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To get the latest in breaking news on Florida education, go to our blog, www.tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please share this podcast with others and review it if you can so we can have more people find it and listen. We like to have as many listeners as possible. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 